Hosanna in the highest. Amen? Amen. Man, I, I think about that parade and I'm thinking, man, the Thanksgiving Day Parade has, in New York City has nothing on that one, right? Man, I, I love Palm Sunday and I'm, I'm actually very humbled that I, I get to preach this morning. But as we get started today, um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 18, if you have it with you. Um, and we've been going through the go- this gospel, the gospel of John, actually since the beginning of the year. And some of you have been following along. Some of you have your, your gospel of John journals, and you've been following along in those, and, and that's awesome, and you're taking notes, and you're writing things down, and, and that's great. And, and uh, as you guys know, we sang Hosanna. Today's Palm Sunday. And uh, that, me- that means next week is Easter Sunday. And, and here's the thing. There's a lot of things that happen between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And today I, I want to focus in on one of those events. But before we do that, let's, let's take a moment and pray. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, God, thank you. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you in song and in communion, and in offering. And God, this morning, as we, we kind of dive into your word, we pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you would, you would want us to, to learn today. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for loving us. And thank you. Thank you for the, the parade on, on Palm Sunday. We are so thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, life for the most part, is, is a series of, of balancing acts. It's, it's trying to face the things that, that come our way and trying to do those things with, with wisdom and guidance and wisdom from the people that we look up to and, and guidance from God. And, and child raising is one example. If you have kids, right? You want to discipline your children, but you don't want to be so hard on them that they don't, they, they don't give they, we don't give them time and, and freedom to discover who they are and what they want to do with their lives. Finances is another example. You, you want to save enough so that when you're older and you want to retire, you've got enough to retire and enjoy life, but you don't want to save so much that you don't enjoy life now and you don't have fun. Right? It would be terrible to save everything you have, right? And then, and then you die, right? It, I mean, it wouldn't be bad because you go to heaven, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, it would be bad because you saved all that money, right? There has to be a balance of of how much you put aside and how much you use now. How about our goals? Our goals in life, right? We need to balance our goals. They they shouldn't be too hard and impossible, yet they should be challenging enough to excite us and stretch us a little bit. You see, and as we think about the balancing act of life and all these different things and balancing, they, uh, these, these are some of the dilemmas that, that pop up in our lives that we'll face throughout. You know, in the book of John, uh, uh, we're, we've reached a dilemma in chapter 18. Jesus is close to the cross, and, we're gonna, and this morning we're going to pick up in the garden. And, and here in, the, in chapter 18 in the garden... We see Jesus begging the Father. He's begging him. He's anxious. Jesus is afraid. He's actually sweating, the Bible says, drops of blood. Recognizing that he's about to experience something for which he is not prepared to do. And he is completely unfamiliar with. He's going to be separated from God the Father. And at this point, 
Uh, we, we, we see in the Bible, I don't see Jesus commanding God. I see, I see, I see him begging God. He's saying, God, let this cup pass. Take, take this cup from me. And he's begging God. He continues to pray out to him. Please take this away from me. Is there any other way, God? Is there a plan B? He assumes that God is powerful enough to take the cup away. But in the end, he stands up with a resolution and says, not my will be done, but yours be done. And, And here's the dilemma, chapter 18. Jesus and the disciples, they're in the garden. And it says that Jesus had finished praying and he left his disciples over the Kindred Valley. He led the disciples over the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden and he, his disciples went inside, to it, inside of it. And the Bible says that Jesus betrayed him. And Judas would know the place, the garden, because Jesus would, would bring the disciples with them, with them there often. And the Bible says that Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers. Not only is there a detachment of soldiers, there are some chief priests, there are some Pharisees there, and they're all carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. John 18, 4-6, if you have your Bibles, we have it up there for you too as well. It says this, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And I want to I pause a minute there. Who is it that's coming to arrest Jesus? And you have to understand, you've got two groups of people. First, you've got a detachment of soldiers. This t- detachment could be from anywhere from 600 to 1,000 people. 600 to 1,000 Roman soldiers coming to arrest Jesus and his farmer and fisherman disciples. Man, those guys, disciples, they've never met a fight in their life, and you got all these soldiers coming to get them. I mean, imagine this. This this many Roman soldiers would have been there during this time because during Passover, you've got thousands and thousands of Israelites who have made their way into the city of Jerusalem for the festivities. The Israelites were, were always one loud voice away from revolt. They hated the fact that they were occupied by the Romans. You get that many Israelites together in one place and the the Roman army would get together to protect the outer limits of the city to watch for who gets in and who gets out. At the same time, you've got the official chief priests and Pharisees. These are the temple police. The Romans are guarding the exterior because the Jewish leaders didn't want any trouble. The religious leaders didn't want to get in trouble with the Romans. They also had their police force. And they would, they would guard the inner parts of the city and the outer parts of the temple to say who gets in and who gets out. Both of these officials, they've got a lot of power. They've got a lot of power and authority, but neither of them think, thinks Jesus is anything special at all. In fact, the people, come, the people that come to arrest Jesus are the Roman soldiers, remember 600 to 1,000 of them, who don't even believe in a Messiah in the first place. And then, and then you have the, the temple police. Now, they believe in a Messiah, but they don't think any Jesus is who he says he is. They just think he's blasph- a blasphemer. And then you have this third entity, Judas, who the Bible says having received the detachment of troops. In other words, 
He's working with them, right? He's working with the secular leaders and he's working with the religious leaders and he wants to put an end to Jesus' life, right? They all come into the garden and just imagine this, just picture this. They come into the garden, them, into the garden, none of them really believing in who Jesus is, but they've all come to arrest him. So you have Judas, you have the Roman soldiers, and you have the Jewish authorities. Now, here's a question. Why do they bring so many weapons? Right? Why? Well, the Romans would have had their intelligence. The Bible says they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons, daggers and swords. It seems like they've, they've, they're coming ready for a resistance. But based on what? Right? There's no history of them resisting. Right? Never. There's, there's a saying, and you, some of you might have heard of this. It's, it goes like this. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Right? This is like bringing an atomic bomb to like a squirt gun fight. Right? Like, these, these, Jesus and his disciples, they're not military men. They're fishermen and farmers. And there's a couple of tax collectors in there. And yeah, we may feel like that toward tax collectors, but they're, they're probably harmless in the end, right? Imagine for a moment, imagine the scene. Jesus is with his disciples in the Roman army, 600 to 1,000 of them, well-dressed, well-trained, ready for battle, men marching up to arrest Jesus. And you might say, Andy, that's not true. The disciples, the, the disciples had, had weapons, the Bible says that, that Peter was hiding a dagger in his cloak and he took it out and chopped off Malchus's ear. And after this, Jesus immediately said, put your, put your sword away. That's, that's not who we are. That's, that's not how we do things around here. Right? So they come to arrest Jesus, not because they respect him, but because they think he's rebellious, because he's treasonous, and probably because they think he's a psychopath at this point and he needs to be arrested. John 18, 4 through 6. I want to read it again. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 600 to 1,000 Roman soldiers, warriors. When Jesus said, I am he, these soldiers drew back and fell to the ground. And I want to make something very clear here, too. This is not like the scene from Revelation 5, when at the end of time, every creature under heaven on the earth, and on the earth and in the sea, they all began to sing a song, and the words are this from Revelation chapter 5, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, to praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Make no mistake, this is not worship. This falling down in chapter 18 is not worship. This, this falling down is, is overwhelmed, frightened, scared, terrified. 600 to 1,000 Roman soldiers drop down, just like that. You say, well, Jesus is powerful. But here's the thing, that's not what soldiers do. These are well-trained, war-ready warriors. When you come up to a power, you dig in. You defend your position. 
You ready yourself for a fight. Anyone who's ever been in the military knows this. John 18, 4-5. Who is it you want? Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. I am he. Do you see what Jesus has done? Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they say. I am. I am. Do you recognize that? Jesus refers to himself as I am. We are familiar with this when, because we, we read it in the Old Testament, right? When Moses went to God and he asked him, God, who do I, who do I say sent me? These Egyptians, they're not going to believe anything. I'm, I'm, I'm anything special, right? They know I've lived in the palace. And these Israelites, they're, they're going to doubt me as well. They know I'm one of them. They know who I am. Who shall I say sent me? Take, who shall I say sent me to take these Egyptians out of bondage? And who should I say sent me to Pharaoh? Then I'm taking away all their slaves. What was God's response? Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. I just I am. I have no beginning and I have no end. John 8, 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus says, who are you looking for? I am. And hundreds collapse and a heap on the ground. You've got to imagine this. These, these great, strong warriors, they're soldiers. They're angry. The hostile temple police, these religious leaders, they bow down, not out of reverence, but because they cannot stand in the presence of God. Jesus saying, okay, and you listen to this. Jesus saying, okay, you can take me, but don't think for a second you're in charge. You can take me. You can arrest me, but don't misinterpret my meekness for weakness. I'm going to allow you to take me to the cross. But you better watch yourself. I love this. This is awesome. When they come to get Jesus in the garden, he gives them one final display just so they know exactly who he is. Clearly stating that he is the I am. Never to be underestimated. Don't underestimate Jesus. Don't mistake weakness for meekness. Jesus is saying, one word for me and everything will fall. I can create by a word. I can destroy by a word. I can speak everything to, into existence. I am the one who said, let there be light and there was light. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I say when things begin and I say when things end. I say who gets in and I say who gets out. And Jesus turns and he says a word, I am. In fact, what Jesus will do by submitting himself to them is a demonstration of what real power really is. Real power is when you have ultimate power, but you, you, use, you choose to restrain it for ultimate good. Jesus says, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. You want me? You got me, Jesus says. Now take me to die so that you'll never have to. 
So, so what's the point? What's the point in all of this? I believe that whatever it is in your life that you're not letting God into, whatever it is, whatever it is that's going on in your life, it must submit to God. I believe that whatever it is, you and I must live with this foundation. It's the only way that I know when I think about my life. It's the only way that I know of, of how I'm going to make it through the rest of my life. It's the only way that I know how to survive in this world. The reality is, is tomorrow, I could be told I have cancer. Tomorrow, my, my wife could become ill. My son could be sick. Tomorrow, I, I could lose everything. You have no guarantees of what's going to happen tomorrow. None. So you either deal with what's going on in your life right now, or you block it out completely and live in denial. And I don't recommend that second one. The only way for us to make it in this world is to know that there is a sovereign God and he can take you through all the chaos of this world and still bring beauty and pattern and design into it. You need to know this morning that God is God and, and he can't be totally figured out. There's, we can't do it. There's lots of people who try. We can't do it, so stop doing it today. But I know this about God. I know that he can be trusted on the basis of the cross. He can be trusted with your, with your present. He can be trusted with your future. And you can, you can even trust that, that he has and will forgiven everything that's happened in your past. You can trust God. You can trust Jesus. I believe that chapter 18 teaches us that when anything or anyone opposes the will of Jesus, and when they meet him, when they meet Jesus head on, that person or thing falls down. And begins to disintegrate. We see it in chapter 18. Right? Isn't it true? You have, no many, you have no idea how many times God has stood at the door when something has tried to come in and disintegrate you. You have no idea how many times he said, nope, this is my house. Nobody comes into my house without my permission. You have no idea how many times, how many things he stopped in your life. You're only aware of the things he's let in. How many times has he said, nope, you're not getting in here. I can't let you do that. That's not going to happen today. How many times has he said, okay, I'm going to let you in, but only for this season. Remember, although Jesus said, I am, he still puts his hands out and said, take me to the cross. He still, he still said, take me to the cross because that was the will of the father. Sometimes it's the will of the Father that you go to the cross too. But you have no idea how many times he said, nope, not this time. I know, I know we're in the book of John, but there's something I, I want to point out to you, and it actually happens in, in the book of Matthew. And it's in chapter 8 if you want to follow along, and, and I'll have some of the scriptures up there, but you can look into it uh, this week too as well. There, there are four stories in Matthew, four narratives in chapter 8, um, and, and, and stuck right in the middle of these narratives in these stories um, is, this, is this one chapter, and, and it's, it's a paragraph, and, and you're, you're reading all these other narratives, and you're like, what is this doing in here? This is out of place. Someone messed up somewhere. And, and I'm going to kind of walk us through that. The first story in Matthew chapter 8, it's about the Roman centurion. 
The, the centurion comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says the word, right? What is the word? I want, I, I've always wondered, what is the word? Is it I am? Okay, I get that's two words. That's not the point, but it could, be, could have been I am, right? Um, the centurion says, you don't have to come to my house. So did Jesus speak through the streets into the countryside to the centurion's home and say, I am? And the servant was healed? Notice this, the disease or whatever it was that was taking, taking his life began to fall and back down and die. Another story in chapter 8, the healing of the many who were, who were possessed. Jesus drove out the spirits with one word and healed all the sick. What was the word? Was it, I am? And then all of the evil spirits had to go. Matthew 8, 8, 16, and 17 says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up, the, up our infirmities and bore our diseases. What was the word? And then another story. It's, it's where the disciples are in a boat. And there's a storm. The disciples are afraid and first he has to rebuke them because they're afraid. And then he rebukes the winds and the waves. What does he say with a word? The scripture says the disciples ask him, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? What was the word? I am. And the winds and the waves, they fall down and they disintegrate. And then, then another one, another narrative. And there were, there were two demonic guys and they come to Jesus and there's a herd of pigs up on the hillside. And I don't know, this story makes no sense at all to me why you would want to go, well, cool, can we be with the pigs? And uh, the demon-possessed guys recognize who Jesus is, right? And these guys are terrified. They know what Jesus is. They know what he's capable of. They know that whatever's ailing you, if you come in contact with that guy, with that guy, Jesus... It falls down and it dies. So they know their future and for some reason they beg them. Like, can I go to the hillside with the pigs? And with one word, Jesus says, go. And the pigs go over the cliff and they, they fall and they, they die. It's Jesus' way of saying, okay, you can go with the pigs if you want to, but you're still going to die, right? Because you've met the master. You've met me. You're in the presence of I am. And then notice this. Stuck in the middle of chapter 8. This tiny paragraph. You blink, you'll miss it. Matthew 8, 18 through 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to, to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus replied. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Why is this scripture in the middle of this narrative? Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, bring it all to me. I can't, can't promise you a soft pillow or a nice bed. But I'm telling you, if you follow me, if you give me everything, every event of your life, everything going on, if you give me everything, you give me everything. And the Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. 
This is another disciple. He's saying, let me go. Let me go work with my father. Gain my inheritance. And then, and then when I've got all the money that I need from dad, then I'll come back and follow you. And then when I do all that, I won't need anything else, Jesus. I won't need anything, all that. And Jesus' response is, well, if you don't need anything else, why do you need me? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you better bring everything. You guys need to write that down. Get that ingrained in your mind. If you're going to follow Jesus, you better bring him everything. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever it is that is in you, that is destroying you, humble yourselves and give it all to Jesus. Because when it meets him, when you surrender to the power of I am, it falls down and it dies and it disintegrates. Amen? I don't know how, exactly how it works. Like I said, don't, don't try to figure out God. I just know that it happens. I don't know how this works. I'm, I'm not God. I'm not going to stand up here and make promises to, to anyone other than the, one, um, than the ones that I read in scriptures. However, note, however, I've noticed in my life that there are seasons when God is working and every prayer I pray is being answered. And man, that's awesome. But then I also know there's other seasons in my life and I'm praying and I'm wondering, God, are, are you even there? The, the same thing can happen in the life of a church, right? There, there may be seasons when it feels like the church is struggling to move forward and God seems distant and there are other seasons when the church starts to pray and things start happening and moving and it's incredible. These, these seasons of life, they're not predictable. You can't predict them. But I can stand up here assured today that if we remain in the presence of I am in every part of our lives, home, church, work, everything, God's will will unfold. And you will not be able to not deny his power. I, I want to close with this this morning. Because I don't know everything about each one of you here. Uh, but I know that whatever is going on in your life, whatever is happening, whatever, whatever might be ailing you, if you give it over to him, all of it, you can begin to watch it fall down and die. The power of Christ living in you gives you the power to stand up boldly and choose to let I am take care of your needs. You know, as we reflect on this passage from John 18, Jesus goes from, from begging the cup to pass over him. And you see it, he's just begging. There's, he's dripping just blood, sweat. He's sweating blood. He's begging, let this cup pass over me. Standing in the mighty power of his heavenly father saying, I am we see the power of surrendering to God's will. Shall I not drink from the cup the Father has given me? Jesus has always lived within the will of his Father. But at this moment, when things are getting heated, he demonstrates his faith, doesn't he? His prayer changes and he gives, he gives it all. And things get heated in your life too. I know they do. Are you begging for something that you know is outside of the will of the Father? Have you surrendered to I am to meet your every need? Maybe, maybe it's an addiction. Pornography, a sexual habit. Is it drugs? Alcohol? Bitterness? Unforgiveness? Anger? Whatever it is, it's, it's killing you. The only solution, the only thing 
is to bring it fully and completely to Jesus. Hold on to no part of it. Let it meet Jesus. Don't doubt his power. Don't underestimate his authority. Give it all to him and watch it fall down and die. I hope that you're hearing God speak to you this morning. Don't interpret meekness for weakness. Whatever it is, give it all to him. Watch it fall down and die. Maybe you're here this morning and you're young and you're wondering, where is God leading me? Where am I going? And you're frustrated because you can't see clearly tomorrow. And you can't see next week and you can't see next month or next year. Knock it off. Bring it to Jesus, all of it. Hold on to no part of it. Let it meet Jesus. Don't doubt his power. Don't underestimate his authority. Give it all to him. And watch your fears and doubts and anxieties. Watch them fall down and die. You have a marriage and it's falling apart. You can't see how it's going to be fixed or how you're going to make it through. There's too much damage there's, there's too many hurts, too many differences. Bring it to Jesus. Don't try to understand it. Don't hold on to any part of it. Let him be God. Let him turn, let him turn to your spouse and say, I am. Both of you, give it completely to him. Give it to Jesus and watch it fall down and die. Not your marriage, but all the obstacles. Let him heal it. Let him put it back together. You have a son or daughter who's gone off the deep end. You say, Andy, they're, they're too far gone. Drugs, destructive habits. I say to you, knock it off. Give this completely to Jesus. Hold on to no part of it. Bring it to Jesus. Ask him to speak those words. I am. Let this situation meet Jesus. Don't doubt his power. Don't underestimate his authority. Give it all to him. And watch it fall down and die. You might say, I brought things to Jesus, Andy. And it doesn't fall down and it doesn't die. That's okay. We live by faith. Even when, even when it's tough, whatever it is, doesn't fall down and die. We live by faith. Keep praying. Don't hold back. Bring it to Jesus. And this morning, as we prepare for our time of invitation, I want to invite you. Maybe there is something you're holding back for Jesus. You're not giving it all to him. You're holding back. And I want to invite you up this morning to pray with us. Our elders are here. We would love to pray with you. There's nothing more incredible, amazing than giving everything to Jesus and going into the waters of baptism. Maybe this morning you're here and and it's Palm Sunday and it's just an awesome day. And you just, you love Huntsville Christian Church. You love our church family. You want to be a part of a family that... that, uh, wants to share the love of God with our community and around the world and and you want to just place your membership, during our time of invitation, I would encourage you to come forward. Or maybe for you, this week, it's it's just been a tough week and you you just need some prayer. I would love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. So as we stand and sing our song of invitation, I would invite you to come forward this morning.